Hello, I'm Melanie Cole. Welcome to Anxiety in Schools, a special podcast series from Rogers Behavioral Health. This is episode number six of our six-part series where we look at anxiety and how it can impact learning. In this episode, we're discussing when to refer and resources available to help with anxiety in schools. I'd like to welcome Dr. Heather Jones. She's a clinical supervisor at Rogers Behavioral Health. Dr. Jones, please tell us what works and what doesn't work in, for therapy, in your opinion. What have you seen that does work? So the most evidence-based treatment for anxiety disorders is exposure therapy. So what we're asking people to do, which seems a little counterintuitive, is to actually continually and repetitively expose themselves to the anxiety-provoking stimuli. So in school, that might look like having someone, you know, take a look at one of those bubble forms that we fill out when we take exams or to um, look at an assignment that they feel very overwhelmed by or very anxious um, by. It might mean that we're going to ask a student who's pretty anxious about sitting in the high school cafeteria to sit in the high school cafeteria during their lunch period and maybe another lunch period. And again, this seems a little counterintuitive, but the, um, the, the research behind that is that we're actually teaching people that their anxiety isn't dangerous, that although it feels very overwhelming and it feels like something bad is going to happen, that really it's kind of a false alarm that's going on in our head. And so to teach people that they actually have control over a situation, even though they're anxious. How can somebody find someone that they know will help them and that they're doing to effectively treat anxiety? How do you find the proper person? Absolutely. So we ask people to talk to an outpatient provider, ask them first if they are a provider that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. So exposure therapy is a type of cognitive behavioral therapy and Secondarily to that, to talk to them more, especially if we're talking about an anxiety disorder like obsessive compulsive disorder, to make sure that they know what exposure and response prevention is so they are knowledgeable about this type of treatment. So we usually recommend to parents to ask kind of these tough questions of people and to make sure that they know and have heard of exposures before. And really secondary to that, that this treatment should look different than what people are used to when they think about going to an outpatient therapist or an outpatient psychologist. This should be very behavioral in nature in that we are doing things, we are approaching anxiety-provoking stimuli, we are you know, doing the things, again, that make us anxious, and it's not that we're sitting and talking, maybe, about what those things are. So it's very, very heavily behavioral. How important is it for early identification, and what are some of the red flags, symptoms that would differentiate anxiety from other commonly occurring disorders? So it is really important. What what we tend to see is that early anxiety goes unnoticed and kind of is explained away as just normal stress at school or, you know, around the time of exams and everybody is sort of experiencing it. And then what happens is through avoidance over time, people's anxiety and students' anxiety become insurmountable and they feel as if they can't go to school, they can't take exams, they can't go to class. And so responding early is important and at the same time can be difficult. So looking for any significant change in behavior. So your child or your student was coming to class every day, was completing work, and then starts 
to maybe miss a class or complain of maybe some somatic symptoms, a stomach ache, a headache, not coming to class on exam days. Those would be things that I would be looking for, for some sort of signs that there is some anxiety there. What do you think is important as far as parent education on anxiety? How, how are they treated and, and give us some effective management strategies that parents can use at home if their children are suffering from anxiety? The one, the most important thing that we talk about in terms of parent education is uh, symptom accommodation. So being able to recognize what you are doing for your child when they're anxious or how you as a parent or even as teachers sometimes respond when a child is anxious. Since exposure therapy is so counterintuitive, people usually see someone who's anxious and say, oh, I, you know, I need to help them. I need to do something to help them cope with this or to feel better. And that inadvertently actually reinforces someone's anxiety. It sends the message that there is something to be afraid of that this is serious, that I can't handle this on my own. And so we talk to parents about setting setting expectations, reasonable expectations about school attendance, completing schoolwork, and then really asking them to, to look carefully at their behavior to ensure that they're not inadvertently helping or assisting or reinforcing some avoidance related to that anxiety. So that can be a, that can be a real challenge. And, and really essential to that parent education piece. So some strategies specifically that would, we would be looking at, and a lot of these are basic, but to, to look at sleep hygiene. When is your child going to bed? Do they have video screens in their bedroom? Do they have a computer in their room? Do they have a cell phone? Do they have a TV? Is that impacting their sleep hygiene? How many hours are they spending on schoolwork? Perfectionism and that, that school stress is so prevalent. So we're asking schools and parents to come together and say, how many hours is too many hours? So if you know, are you perfecting your schoolwork? And to ask parents to take a, a serious look at, at those things. What do you think the schools need to do, Dr. Jones, in order to develop, implement, and monitor effectiveness of interventions within the school setting? So we talk about doing some parent education. We uh, talk to schools about um, coming up with some exposure ideas. So maybe if someone is really struggling with sitting in the cafeteria to sit for five minutes to work together with the school counselor, school psychologist to support them in doing the things that are anxiety provoking to them. Um, specifically, we ask that that people track their safety behaviors, quote unquote. So behaviors that I'm doing to avoid my anxiety or to help myself cope with anxiety. So avoiding going into the cafeteria, tracking maybe how many times I'm perfecting my homework or rewriting a paragraph to make sure it's just right. And we have people track them in order to do two things. One, to increase awareness about how much anxiety is impacting my behavior. And then secondarily to that, to reinforce ourselves when we're able to resist those times and to allow that paragraph to be just okay. And then, of course, to enlist the help of the school counselors or school psychologists to do functional assessments in order to uh, check and see what the function of that behavior is, whether it is anxiety. So to ask the student, you know, what prevented them from going into the cafeteria and then how that avoidance actually increased over time because they had been avoiding that anxiety-provoking stimulus. 
So when would referral be necessary? When would you advise the schools or parents to look for a specialist and and how they can find somebody who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy and other practices? So it's challenging with with adolescents especially because any sort of change in emotion or change in behavior is almost a constant. And so, but really to look in a significant, look at a significant change over time. And I had mentioned this already. So grades start slipping. There's some avoidance of school, missing school, not turning in assignments. Maybe your child used to have dinner with the family and is now asking to have dinner in their room by themselves, an increase in somatic symptoms, again, headaches, stomach aches, things like that. So any sort of culmination of that. And I would encourage parents to use, you know, use their judgment. They know their child best and they know when things just don't seem right. Um, And in addition to that, to be willing to ask difficult questions, to be able to ask, how are you doing? And are you, how are you handling all of the stresses of school right now? And, you know, is, do you feel overwhelmed a lot in order to get a better sense of where they are? Do you have some resources you'd like to recommend to the listeners? I do. There are several organizations that are very helpful and that we refer to parents often. So the Anxiety and Depression Association of America is www.adaa.org. And then the International Obsessive Compulsive Disorder Foundation, so it's www.ocfoundation.org. Both of those organizations have find a provider links and are able to help people find someone who specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there's a website that is put out by the Anxiety Disorders Association of British Columbia. So it is www.anxietybc.com. This is great. It has a lot of resources for parents and resources for kids of all ages, so younger kids and teenagers. So it can be a really helpful resource. So if you're not having the conversation directly with your child, to kind of refer them to the site and they can search around on their teen site. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jones. Great information. Rogers Behavioral Health is working each day to ensure that those with mental health challenges have access to the highest quality of care and most effective treatment available today. To learn more about the many ways Rogers can help children, teens, families, and schools, please visit rogersbh.org today. That's rogersbh.org. I'm Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.